What's up, y'all? You're listening to One Fan's Opinion, the podcast where I offer my views on the Carolina Panthers and North Carolina Tar Heels. I'm your host, Neil Curtis. I'm no expert, but in my opinion, it's a great day to keep pounding. What's up, Carolina fans? You're listening to One Fan's Opinion. I'm your host, Neil Curtis. And today we're talking about the final merciful end to the Carolina Panthers football season. Uh, 2023 football season. Uh, last game of the year, home game, Tampa Bay Bucks. Carolina talked about, or you know, folks talked about Carolina maybe playing spoiler uh, with a win against Tampa Bay or with Tampa Bay losing uh, to Carolina, that would have taken Tampa out of the playoffs. They would have lost the division. And uh, the Saints, provided they uh, went on to beat Atlanta, uh, would have uh, went would have won the division and represented uh, in the playoffs. Lofty goals for these Panthers um, and goals they couldn't achieve. The point where, for the second straight game after um, over a decade of not being shut out, the Carolina Panthers were held scoreless. Uh, one attempt at a field goal uh, that went wide and missed, and uh, one touchdown uh, by Blackshear that was called back because Marshall was uh, lined up incorrectly at the line of scrimmage, uh, not covered down on the left tackle and so it was an incorrect for our illegal formation which sounds really weird um and negated the play altogether uh, and resulted eventually in the carolina turnover and tampa bay going on to win nine to nothing what a exciting thrilling end to a season that was anything but uh all sarcasm there with the exception of it really was anything but exciting thrilling season uh watching the panthers uh more fireworks probably off the field than on the field the entire season um and with that uh we also saw uh the release of general manager scott fitter um the following day on monday uh, no longer general manager for the carolina panthers so his tenure comes to an end after three years um, I think it was like 13 and 37 record or something to that effect. Um, draft picks include Iquano, who showed flashes towards the end of his rookie season, but took a huge step backward uh, this season. Um, showcased uh, showcased uh, one of the worst performances of a left tackle. I think not only this year, but um, I think I saw a stat where one of the worst. Uh, statistical performances for left tackle of all time. I think, honestly, that's probably an outlier. I think it's a product of putting him into a blocking scheme that he wasn't as familiar with, um, got down early, and couldn't recover. Um, So, I don't know. I think with the right coaching, uh, the right scheme um, being brought in, then I think he probably has a better chance of uh, performing better next year, although a lot of people have talked about, and um, since it seems to think that he would perform better at the guard position, so who knows? Um, looking forward to seeing what new regime comes in, what new coaching regime comes in, 
and how they want to set up the Panthers offense. Um, you know, what that would mean for Equando. Um, our notable draft picks, J.C. Horn, uh, cornerback, now South Carolina, who went on the field, has shown, uh, uh, I would say, sustained excellence uh, when he's on the field with flashes of superiority. Um, the guy is can, has shown uh, streaks of being a real, like, true lockdown corner. Um, and when he not, you know, provide, like, showcasing that ability to um, really lock things down and be exceptional. He's still been very good um, there in a cornerback role. The only problem is uh, over his, I think, three seasons now, um, he hasn't been on the field as much as uh, you would like. Uh, I think spent an entire his entire, almost his entire rookie season, played, I think, one game, and his second game uh, was injured. Uh, and then spent the rest of the season on injured reserve. Uh, spent, I think, close to two-thirds to half the season last year on injured reserve and spent probably half this season on IR as well. This might have been the season he spent the most time on the field. Even then, there are games where he was um, probably, I think, this, the previous game um, before this, Jacksonville, he was cleared, good to go, but kind of um, scratched himself from the um, active roster um, against Jacksonville. Played the last game against Tampa, though, uh, so finished the season out. But really, not um, the on-field consistency and healthy um, health that you would um, hope for. So, um, and then of course, for this year's first round uh, draft pick, Bryce Young. Uh, depending on who you talk to, the opinions run the gamut. Everywhere from this guy's a complete bust, I don't think he's a complete bust, to uh, jury's still open, he hasn't been given enough weapons, his offensive line is terrible, he doesn't have enough around him to be good and succeed to, well, this dude is the franchise guy, um, he's fantastic, he's amazing. Um, he just hasn't had those weapons. So um, I probably lie a little bit um, between the first two. I don't think he's a bust. I also think that he probably does need um, a lot of support uh, to be able to succeed. And I think that for where he was drafted, number one um, overall, and what we gave up to be able to draft him at number one overall, he is not worth it. Um, when you have a player that requires that much support and attention, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to first take away um, support and give up your number one receiver um, who could have provided um, a great deal of support to him and been a very valuable target. Um, and then give away the 2024 number one pick, or, well, what turned into the number one overall pick, but the 2024 first-round pick that you could have used to draft more support uh, to provide him. The uh, 2023, so last year's number two, second-round pick, um, you gave that up, um, or gave up one of our second-round picks 
uh, that could have been used to provide additional support around him. I gave up a third rounder from 2024, um, again, providing support, more additional support for him. So when you give up those things that you can use, that you find out that you realize you need uh, to support a player, then maybe that player isn't worth giving those things up for. And that's been uh, part of my contention all along is uh, Bryce Young was not worth um, A, being drafted number one overall um, to begin with, and then B, giving up all that capital to be able to do it. So um, those, you know, just a quick recap, fitters, first round picks, uh, several deals that um, did happen and didn't happen that I'm uh, really not a huge fan of personally. Uh, bringing, big fan that he when he brought in Hassan Reddick uh, from Arizona, thought we got some really good value there but then failed to be able to turn around and actually close the deal um, on a contract with him and keep him in Carolina. I think keeping him here um, paired up with Brian Burns would have been amazing. Uh, the two of them together would have done a ton of damage to um, any visiting offenses. I'll follow that up. thought it was a pretty good deal, pretty good value, bringing in Stefan Gilmore. Um, I was pretty surprised by the um, low cost to bring him in and the really good return we had for him. I thought we probably could have kept him for another year, maybe two. Um, saw some of his production after he'd gone to Indy. Uh, was still uh, pretty respectable for that first year. I think he played again for one year after that. Uh, not with Indy, uh, but somewhere else. I'm blanking exactly where. But I think he, and as such, mostly because his production um, really tapered off by that year. But uh, his half a season or so in Carolina was uh, very good. Uh, his uh, time with Indy wasn't too bad either. I thought we probably could have signed him to a pretty uh, low value or low cost deal, um, high value, low cost deal to keep him in Carolina, but kind of let that go. Uh, not a huge thing, but another one. And then, to me, one of the biggest misses on deals was uh, it's been with Brian Burns. Uh, turning down what's been reported as two first-round picks and a third-round pick uh, from Los Angeles for Brian Burns uh, really put painted the Panthers into a corner of having to pay Burns essentially whatever uh, he was going to, he, his agent at least is going to be asking for. Um, knowing that he is quote unquote worth two first round picks, um, will only increase his, uh, cost to the team, whether or not he's actually worth that cost. Uh, this season, uh, has not been the most stellar statistically. Um, there have definitely been a couple of games where teams have schemed, uh, their, their running game towards Burns quite intentionally, knowing that, um, he is not as strong against the run as he, as he is in pass um, rushing. So really um, not sure where we're going to end up landing uh, with him. Most likely he's going to get franchise tagged. Uh, if he starts performing at a high level at the beginning of next season, he might get traded uh, to a contender who's willing to splurge again um, for maybe a first and a little bit extra. 
uh, definitely not going to see the same uh, trade compensation that we saw from the Rams and two first round picks uh, for him at this point. But maybe uh, there's going to be a chance to get a first round pick out of him. Or they're going to eat the money and uh, pay him $30 million a year, which, um, frankly, I don't think he quite warrants. Um, he may down the road um, a year or so from now when the rest of the league's edge, rush, edge rushers have caught up to that price point. But at this point, um, you know, the top five or six edge rushers um, are commanding that kind of money, and I just don't think he's a top five uh, edge rusher in this league. Um, but, uh, again, but I know that's my opinion, um, on that. So fitter out, um, GM and coaching searches are on full scale in earnest. Um, Carolina seems to be interviewing just about every available assistant GM, um, or offensive coordinator, or at least requesting at this point. I think most of all of it's, uh, requesting to interview at this point, uh, head coaches can be, or offense coordinators, head coaching position can be, uh, interviewed in person starting next Monday. I think the GMs can be interviewed in person the following Monday, uh, the 22nd. So looking to see who actually answers the call. Uh, it's been well re- reported at this point, um, how I'll say difficult it can be it can be to work um, in Carolina's uh, front office. Uh, we saw uh, everybody seen the video, David Tepper um, throwing a drink in frustration, um, the subsequent non-apology on that, but uh, regretting uh, his actions uh, without actually issuing an apology. Uh, we've read the article um, in The Athletic by Joe Pearson of the quote-unquote Hunger Games mentality uh, that seems to that was going on in Carolina. So, um, but uh, in you know maybe a small ray of light, sliver of light, um, Stepper has hired an outside consulting agency uh, to kind of do an evaluation on the Panthers' climate and organization um, and to help in the search, uh, probably for I think for the GM and also the but definitely the head coach will probably be helping uh, with identifying an appropriate GM as well uh, to help establish uh, hopefully a much more positive um, culture um, in the front office uh, throughout uh, offices there and then find a coach uh, that can help piece this team back together um, find an offensive coordinator, hire an offensive coordinator that can best utilize what we do have in Bryce Young, um, work an offensive scheme to his uh, strengths, and um, then find and develop players that will fit that scheme um, and make it work rather than trying to take what we've already got, um, bang it, bang some square pegs into round holes, and uh, force something that's just simply not going to work. I think that was a little bit of the problem before. I still think, I know people, he himself has come out and said it's not true, and other people have contended that it's not true. I still think um, Frank Reich's preference in the draft was was C.J. Stroud. Better fit uh, what we've seen from Stroud, or from Reich offensive before, 
um, even maybe his own play style. But I think a um, quarterback uh, with Stroud's skill set and his um, pocket presence awareness uh, and his um, kind of downfield abilities more closely mirrored and matched uh, what Frank Reich in the past has done. Um, but for whatever reason, they went with a scheme uh, that was not as familiar um, and settled on Bryce Young as a quarterback to run that scheme. I think it was an ill fit from the start. You saw that uh, when Bryce Young uh, was apparently struggling uh, to call coverages at the line, adjust plays at the line. Um, they put too much on him um, to call and to um, figure out um, on his own and started taking back and simplifying the playbook and play calling uh, to better um, to help him adapt better uh, to what they were doing and so um, I really think a lot of that is due in fact due in part to it was just an unfamiliar offense and situation for everybody involved and so then to try to turn around and teach a rookie quarterback um, the ropes on it as at the same time really put this uh, team behind from the get-go and a hard spot from the get-go I think going forward you want to find somebody who can tailor an offensive scheme to the quarterback um, and to the players that you have if you don't have the players to meet that scheme um, then find a way to get the players that you need to make that scheme work I think that's what you've seen in Miami where McDaniels came in uh, took a look at um, Tua's strengths uh, worked a scheme uh, that cater to those strengths that really help him out um he's you know a quick processor gets the ball out quickly um and so they went out got the players that would make that scheme work and they've had a lot of success offensively and we'll see if they continue to have that um if you know have their times where they're hit and miss but overall and for the most part they really had a lot of uh, success with the way they've run their program there. So hopefully something along those lines here. Um, but with that, you know, like I said, season's coming to an end for the Carolina Panthers. Um, and for the podcast, um, the um, car recordings are coming to an end. I finally got my equipment set back up, um, a small desk eked out. Uh, workspace eked out in my uh, in the new house. Um, finally got things set up, and so next week's podcast should be recorded uh, from the desk. Uh, computers, everything full up and around. Uh, able to kind of take a look, um, walk, talk through things um, with everything up in front of me. Maybe sound hopefully a little bit more intelligent instead of trying to pull things right off the top of my head. Um, instead of trying to drive, not get struck by other cars, um, and can actually focus on what the heck I'm doing, but that will usher in what will be season two, um, of the podcast. I think, uh, this is a good point to kind of transition into a new season. Um, we'll see where we go from there, but we'll also, um, in addition to kind of walking through and talking out. Uh, the Carolina Panthers off-season moves, um, who they bring in as GM, who they bring in as a head coach, uh, what that's going to mean for players and personnel, 
and what we can look forward to, if anything, uh, from this team. Um, we'll also be doing a lot of Carolina basketball talk. Um, Ace mentioned on the last pod, ACC play is well underway. Um, UNC got another uh, tough grind-out win, win against uh, Clemson, um, at Clemson. Uh, so that's back-to-back road wins in the ACC against opponents that, you know, the first one, record doesn't reflect it, but definitely a very tough and very capable opponent in Pitt um, who uh, really hung with Carolina for a while there. And it was incredibly physical, but Carolina responded very nicely, um, helped kind of answer their toughness questions uh, for some doubters, I hope. Um, and then went down to Clemson, was ranked 16th in the nation, had a very good offense, also a tough physical team. Um, went a little deeper into the game with Carolina, but eventually... Uh, down the stretch when they needed it, Carolina was able to go on a 7-0 run, uh, pull ahead, get into a double digits, and finish it out with a double digit win um, against another very tough, very challenging opponent. And Carolina this season, you know, they got three, the three losses on a year. There's uh, Villanova, Kentucky, and UConn. Uh, Villanova, a little bit of aberra- uh, aberration. Uh, for a while there, they were ranked pretty well. Uh, they've since fallen off. A little bit, but UConn, Kentucky, both still very strong, uh, top contending teams that uh, are definitely going to be a challenge uh, later on in the season in the NCAA bracket. Um, but even against those two teams, Carolina fought incredibly well, uh, played incredibly hard, a little bit of uh, uh, screw up there towards at the end of the Kentucky game. Uh, where Carolina kind of fumbled away their opportunity to be able to uh, tie it up and possibly even go on to win that game. Um, and then UConn, a uh, little bit uh, more difficult of a loss, but still, when you're talking about the defending national champions, uh, top five team, you know, it's sometimes you can't win every single one, and occasionally that's, that's going to happen. So all in all, I think, uh, men's basketball team off to a very good, very strong start this season. Uh, much better, obviously, than last year. But not only just, you know, the win column um, and uh, how they've played teams, but um, yeah, really, like how they've played teams has been a lot better. Um, like I said before, playing a lot tougher, answering any, some, most of the doubters on how tough this team can be. But also showcasing the fact that they can play, you know, fast, up-tempo, uh, kind of what I call finesse type of games, and really put on a clinic and blow some teams out when they need, when they should, but also have the ability that if they get drugged down and um, into you know, sort of a knife fight with another team, really have the toughness to stick it out and keep fighting um, and keep pushing um, to get the W. And then when they get, you know, have it on occasion, um, lost the game, bounced right back, um, not let it turn into a skid, not let it get them down, and you see they are a top 10 team, well-deserved, and uh, fighting um, hard, leading the ACC now, and uh, really looking forward to the rest of 
ACC play for Carolina. We got NC State uh, coming up tomorrow night, Wednesday. Should be a good one. Uh, I think I saw a post uh, talked about playing the Little Brothers down the road, and I think and it was on here. I was talking about Carolina football um, and made mention of when it comes to basketball, I definitely kind of see NC State as, you know, that little brother who's, you know, kind of annoying, but you usually have uh, the upper hand on them, um, usually able to hold them off, beat them. You know, occasionally he might get good looking on you, but for the most part, you pretty much um, know that you've got a good opportunity to beat them. So hopefully this Wednesday night, uh, team's locked in, focused, ready to take it to NC State. And uh, kind of beat up on the younger brother a little bit here um, and get a good, strong win uh, against those guys. Maybe a little bit of payback for uh, that football um, game, but we'll see. Um, and hopefully they kind of they keep it up and keep the toughness on and uh, kind of pour it in um, against NC State. But that's all I've got for now. Uh, those. Uh, as I like to say, that's my just my opinion. Uh, let me know what yours is. Um, you can hit me up on X um, at UNC Navy 03. Um, also on Instagram a little bit. I uh, try to do a couple things here and there. Um, one fan's opinion. And uh, for you know, podcast feeds um, all over, uh, most of iHeartRadio now. Um, got on that the other day. Uh, but on Spotify, Amazon, um, all the major uh, podcast feeds you can find um, and subscribe there. So hit me up. Let me know what you think. And I will talk at you next time.